You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. Deviating from our stories series this week to uh, bring a message titled The Greatest Gift of Freedom. There's going to be several places in your scripture you're going to want to turn to. Romans 6 and Romans 8, uh, Galatians 5, and then 1 Peter Two. So Romans 6 and Romans 8, Galatians 5 and 1 Peter 2, I think those will be on the screen as well if you're unable to catch up with all of those. But we're going to talk about what it means to have this freedom in Christ that we have. And there's this unique little section in John's gospel. It's uh, unique to John among all the other gospels where Jesus talks about this issue of being free. And you don't need to turn here. I'm just going to read it to you as an intro today. From John 8, beginning verse 31, Jesus has been um, dealing with the religious authorities and rulers and those who are against him. And he says in chapter 8, verse 31 of the Gospel of John, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Just as a pause there, they say that while essentially Rome controls them. Pride is a dangerous thing. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, and the slave does not remain in the house forever, only the son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. With this little passage in John's gospel, Jesus makes this switch from thinking about what it means to be enslaved or what it means to have a master. He makes the switch from thinking about it in earthly tones or earthly understanding to a spiritual understanding. That to be a slave to sin is to be a slave to that master. And that to be a slave in the sin or to sin means we are excluded from the house. But when he, when the son sets you free, you are free indeed. And so we're going to talk about that today. This greatest gift of freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And we're going to do it through two questions. The first of which being this. Jesus says if the son sets us free that we are free indeed. The first question is within what have we been set free from? If you look at Romans 6, verses 17 through 22, as we start with the first answer to this question. Romans 6, 17 through 22. Paul is preaching through, gra- uh, through grace and the power of grace and the free gift of grace through Jesus Christ. And he says this, beginning verse 17. Be thanks, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit... Were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin 
and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So what have we been set free from? Initially, Paul says this in this passage in Romans 6. We have been set free from sin. It doesn't mean that sin never besets us again. It doesn't mean that temptation never rears its ugly head again. He's writing from this perspective of sin being a controlling master of people. And he says, you have in Christ been set free or having been set free from sin. A basic foundation of Christian doctrine or theology or teaching is this. That every individual is born into a nature that is sinful. It's the doctrine of original sin. And it is that no human being is born good. No human being is born truly innocent. Every human being is born with a sinful nature which has a propensity for them to move into the action of sin. This condition means we have a corrupt spiritual nature by ourselves. It means we have a guilt that is upon us. We won't necessarily feel guilty. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But there is a guilt that is applied to us because of our sin nature, because of our sin actions. And there's a separation from God that we have due to his holiness and our sin nature. And so what Paul says here in Romans 6, as we talk about this greatest gift of freedom, is he puts it in terms of a past event. You have been set free. Or what have you gained now that you are, have been set free? Have been or having been set free are words that point to a past action, namely the cross of Jesus Christ. And what that means is today you might as a person say yes to Jesus for the first time and be saved today, but the effect of what saves you happened nearly 2,000 years ago. Jesus does not get re-crucified for you today. What he has done exists and applies to all who would believe until he comes back in that moment. And so Paul says to those of us who are in Christ, you have been set free. Through Jesus' obedient death, through his work on the cross, you have been set free from sin. Look at Romans 8, 1 and 2 as we look at the second thing that we've been set free from. He says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Same type of language. The law of the spirit of life has set you free. When you come to Jesus in faith, and you trust in his work on the cross, and you trust in the truth of God's word, and you apply that to your life, you are as free as you are ever going to be. Now, you may not live in freedom. We'll hit that in a moment. You and I may choose to go back from time to time into the things of our slavery, but we are free from that moment because he has set us free. And he says here that he set us free from the law of sin and death. He set us free from sin as our master. He sets us free from the law of sin and death. What does that law of sin and death mean? It doesn't mean the law of Moses. It doesn't mean the written law that God provided. Think about it in terms of what we would call natural laws, for example. 
I said that before, that when a person is born, they are born into a sinful nature, which means that their lives, without the intervention of the Holy Spirit of Christ, that their lives have this propensity, this leaning towards sin, that is the natural law of themselves. We have natural laws like gravity. And gravity means every time I throw that ball, it's going to come back down. The only thing that stops it is me catching it or it hitting the floor. And there's nothing that we can do to change. I can't throw this high enough, but what gravity doesn't bring it back down. It's a natural law. In human terms, we have a natural spiritual law of sin and death that every person is born under. The natural spiritual law of leaning towards sin and sin producing death, both physical and spiritual death in this case. But what Paul says is, in Jesus, the spirit of his life has set you free from that. Has set you free from that law in your life and in my life. And I love the way he begins it there in verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That guilt that is applied to us before Jesus, again, it doesn't necessarily mean we feel guilty. It doesn't necessarily mean that, it, that we would say to someone else that, yeah, we feel bad about we do, but, but, what we do, but there is a guilt that rests on us because of our sin, because of that situation. In Christ, that guilt is released. A criminal may not feel any guilt towards his or her crimes, but the guilt remains on them. We may not feel guilty about our sin before Jesus, but the guilt remains on us. But in Jesus, the guilt and the punishment for that sin is lifted. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus because he has lifted that by the law of the spirit of life. This is why in Romans 8, and I would encourage you to read this this week, from verse 3 on through verse 17, Paul launches into this whole understanding of because there's no condemnation for us and because we now live under the spirit of life and not the spirit of the law and death, we should live accordingly. That we're either going to choose to live in the flesh or we're either going to choose to live in the spirit. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's really only to be one choice, living in the Spirit. This serves really as a warning passage for us as well. That if we who are in Christ, if we who say we are in Christ, we have walked in faith with him and there's no condemnation in him, if we can then go about living in the flesh without any conviction, without any Holy Spirit involvement in our life, Without any, without any tugging at our heartstrings, however you want to word it, if, if a person who claims to be a Christian can do that, that is a spiritual red flag in our lives. Because it either means we have not the spirit of life, or we are deaf to the spirit of life. And I don't just mean the hard sins. Sometimes you talk about that and people needing conviction. Oh yeah, them, those people that practice those sins need that. You know that, that little passage in 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul lists all those things of who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? And included in that list are people who are revilers, who slander other people's reputation by lying. You know who's included in that list are people who are excessively greedy and coveting? 
who just want more and more and more of the material world because they think they are, have earned it or deserve it. It's not just the hard sins or the big sins. If we can have any of that kind of stuff in our lives without conviction, that's a red flag because what the truth of the Bible says is we have been set free from those things if we are truly in Christ. So we've been set free from sin as our master. We've been set free from the law of the sin and death. Before we get to the third thing here in this first question, I want to note an important teaching about what we would call our freedom. Look back at chapter 6 of Romans for just a second, if you will. And look at verses 18, 19, and 22 with me. He says, Having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness... I'm speaking human terms because of your natural limitations, just as you once presented the members of your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Now present your members of your body as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Verse 2, he repeats it again, essentially. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification in the end, eternal life. Freedom in Christ does not mean we're free to do whatever we want. We exchange one master for another. Now sin is a harsh master and a cruel master and an unjust master. But God as our master, Christ as our master, is a loving master. He is a grace-filled master. He is a compassionate master. He is a master of second and third and fiftieth chances. But he is still our master. That's why the, uh, the evangelism of our world needs to, needs to wake up and stop getting people to think they can simply accept Jesus as Savior and not as Lord. It is a package deal. He does not simply save us and then we go and do whatever we want. If he's Savior, he's Lord. If he's Savior, he's Master. So just as we have freedom in this country with limitations, our freedom in Christ has limitations as well. I can't just walk into your house and grab what I want. I can't just go to Kroger today and pick through the produce aisle and have me a little snack and walk out without leaving. You say, well, we live in a free country. Yeah, freedom, but with limitations. My freedom in Christ, your freedom in Christ has limitations as well because we are now under his lordship, under his mastery. Our thoughts, our words, our actions are supposed to be moving us ever forward to the standard of the righteousness of Christ and the kingdom of God. And he moves us in that direction through the power of his Holy Spirit. A person might think at this point, so you're saying I'm just trading one master for another? Yes, that's exactly what the Bible is saying. Trade one for the other. The third thing that he has set us free from is found in Galatians 5, if you want to flip over to there. He sets us free from sin as our master. He sets us free from the law of sin and death. And he sets us free from what I would call religious slavery. Look at Galatians 5, 1 through 6. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. 
Look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. That may be one of the most horrifying verses in the Bible. That if we accept something that's Jesus plus something else, Paul says, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Continuing, verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The primary piece that's going on here at the Church of Galatia is these, these Jewish persons who are coming in and teaching in the community to these Gentile converts. Oh, it's great that you found Jesus. Now you need to add one more thing to it to really be saved. And that one more thing is this issue of male circumcision. I doubt this has been a very big issue in your life. But my guess is, throughout your life, people have raised other issues. And maybe said in not so uncertain terms, well, it's great that you're following Jesus, but you need to make sure you add on all these other things as well. You can't be a Christian and... And then we fill in the blank. In my life as a, both a believer and as a pastor, I've heard everything from you can't be a Christian and vote Republican or vote Democrat or read a Bible other than the King James or wear jeans to church or listen to secular music or watch an R-rated movie and on and on and on. You've probably heard it all, if not more. And what Paul says here in Galatians is, if you accept something other than Jesus, if you accept Jesus and something else, you actually lose Jesus. Look, 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 at the, look again at the, at the words here in verse 4, for example. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. That when people seek on, on me and on you to put extra biblical issues on us, it's of no value to our becoming like Jesus. Uh, in another letter of Paul's, in the book of Colossians, in chapter 2, he's got this segment beginning in verse 16 where he's talking about people who pass judgment on others about food and drink and festivals and sabbaths and so forth and he says in verse 20 if with Christ you died in the element to the elemental spirits of the world why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to their regulations do not handle do not taste do not touch according to human wisdom and teachings these things have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body. But listen to what he says. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, it's not to say that some of these things we might not have some good conversations about. Music we listen to, TV shows we watch, movies we go and see. 
It's not to say that we, don't, we shouldn't, as iron sharpens iron, have some conversation in our homes and our families and our relationships. But anytime anybody says to me or to you, you know what, you can't have Jesus and do that, Paul says essentially in Galatians and Colossians 2, that's of no real value to making you more like Jesus. Oh, it has a good appearance. People will probably talk good about you. But in really stopping the indulgence of your flesh, in really stopping the sin nature that seeks to continue to tear at us, even though it is no longer our master, it's, no, it's of no use. Just as we're not called to do whatever we want in our freedom, we're also not called to add something to the gospel. Either Jesus saves or he doesn't. Either the Holy Spirit sanctifies or he doesn't. Either God works and completes the good work that he begins in us or he doesn't. If it's left up to us, we are in a bad way. Paul adamantly states there in Galatians 5, verse 1, Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In his letter in the New Testament, James even picked up on this as well. James chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, as he's talking about the sin of partiality. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you, love your, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Whoever seeks to keep the law but fails at one point, the Bible says, has become accountable for all of it. That would be like you doing 55 through this 45 out here in front of the church and the trooper pulling you over and saying, well, you're guilty of speeding, but I'm going to go on and write your ticket for murder and thievery and anything else I can add on to this ticket because if you're guilty here, you're probably guilty there. The Bible says we try to keep the law where we lose one piece of it. We're guilty in all of it. Where licentiousness, which is the word for, for using our freedom to do whatever we want, where that steals our confidence in Christ, legalism steals our joy in Christ. For we are constantly wondering, are we good enough? We're constantly wondering, have we messed up somewhere? Let me give you the truth today. If the Holy Spirit is in your life and my life, he will let us know. And we will either hear him or we will ignore him. So he saves us. What are we saved from? We're saved from sin as our master. We're saved from the law of sin and death. We're saved from religious slavery. Second question then as we begin to come to a close today. And what do we do with this freedom? Look at Galatians 5, 13 through 15. Paul, in this same passage in Galatians 5, says this, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul says, what do you do with this freedom? You serve. You serve each other. And, not, and you don't serve each other begrudgingly. 
You don't serve each other in the kingdom of God and go, well, I just, I've got to do this because nobody else will step up and do it. You do it in love, for the love of God, for the love of your brothers, for the love of your sisters in Christ. And we do this. This connects really well into last week and that whole idea and understanding of dying to self. Because if I'm living to self, if I'm living to my self-interest, it's a pretty good chance I'm not serving anybody else in love. If I, if I am invested in me, 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 it's a pretty good chance that rarely am I serving anyone else in love. So the, the teaching here is we don't use this freedom to indulge ourselves and our selfish desires, but to love and serve others. And, and Paul, again, contextually here, is really talking about this issue of circumcision. What were they biting and devouring one another over this issue of circumcision, over whether that meant you were a true Christian or not? We, we don't have that today, but what do we bite and devour over today? Would you like me to give you a list of things over the last 20 years that I've experienced? It got quiet, didn't it? Would you like me to talk about how many of those were actually gospel-centered? Paul says, it's important we get this right, people. It's important we get this right because he says, if you keep doing this, you will consume one another. And that phrase for consume one another literally means to take out of existence. And what Paul is saying is if Christian brothers and sisters in Christ are not using their freedom to serve one another in love, but instead are biting and devouring, we will cease to exist for the purpose that God has set for us. Which is his word and his kingdom and his will and his ways. And in the end... Who wins when that happens? No one. Oh, one, one person or one group may get their way, but no one wins. Lastly, in 1 Peter 2, 16, this is going to be of a little bit of a different perspective, but I thought it to be appropriate for us today. One other thing that the Bible tells us to do with our freedom. For context, let's look at 1 Peter 2, beginning verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. I get people asking me all the time, what's the will of God in my life? Well, here's one of them, okay? For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Spiritually free in Christ, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. He says in here essentially what Paul talked about in Romans 6, that we're trading masters. We live as people who are free, verse 16, not using freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living how? As a servant of God. If you live as a servant of someone, you are declaring that that someone is your master. And so Paul, writing to these people who had no political place in the world, who had no one representing them, who had no voice whatsoever, says to them, honor 
do good. Submit. Now, we, we see that word submit, we think, well, the, the word submit just means to, to roll over, right? Just to be a doormat. That's not what the word submit means. The word submit means to do something in such a way that there's peace that surrounds it. Let me give you two biblical examples. In Daniel chapter 1 in the Old Testament, Daniel is under Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who's ruling over Jerusalem and all of its inhabitants. In the first part of Daniel chapter 1, they come to Daniel and some of the other young men. They say, you're going to drink the finest wine and eat the finest meats, and you're going to do all this, and all this is going to be provided to you, and this is what you're going to do. And Daniel doesn't go, nope, uh uh-uh, I am protesting. Nope, I'm picketing. Nope, I'm, I'm going to retire over here to the corner and ask God, why would you do such a thing to me? With humility and with honor and respect, he goes to one of Nebuchadnezzar's officials and says, listen, give me 10 days. Give me 10 days, let me and my boys eat what we want to eat. You feed the rest of them what you want to feed them. Let's see at the end who's, who's looking better. And, of course, the story is at the end of those 10 days, Daniel and his boys looked better. And they were granted favor in the sight of that king's official. He, he, didn't, he didn't use his freedom that he had under God as a cover-up for evil in that moment. He used his freedom that he had under God to honor and respect the official of the Nebuchadnezzar. Romans 13 is a New Testament example. Romans 13, 1 and 2 Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except for God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. He goes on to talk about the government bearing the sword and to to carry out wrath against those who are the wrongdoers and so forth. And he ends that little section in verse 7 this way, Pay to all what is owed, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Why is this important? Because again, to the church at Rome, no political voice. No political representation, oppression, actually. And nowhere in this writing from Paul does he say, let's have a revolution. Nowhere in this writing does Paul say, have some secret meetings and plan the overthrow of the government. He says, submit, yield with honor, respect, pay, what the, pay what's owed. Do what you're supposed to do. Keep your nose clean. Why those examples? Because that's what Peter's talking about. Don't use freedom as a cover-up for evil. The word for cover-up or or cloak or covering, whatever your translation may use, literally means to conceal something from going public, which is an understanding that it's something secretive that should not be done. It's only used one time in all the New Testament here in 1 Peter 2. 16. Freedom in Christ not to be used for personal gain. Freedom in Christ not to be used for selfish indulgence. Freedom in Christ not to be used as a covering or a concealing for evil, but used for kingdom work. And let me, let me refer you back to First Peter there really quick before we end. Because what he said in that passage, if you'll remember, was this. 
verse 15, before he says to live this way, he says, this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. How do we tend to think we silent ignorant people and foolish people? We tend to think we get louder than them. If we can just get louder than them, we'll drown them out. Peter says, do good. Honor the emperor. Respect the brotherhood. Fear God. Why is all this important today? Why this message today? Because it's important for us to be reminded every now and then of who we represent. Eric and Tara are here. It's good to see you all. And they've had much more time in Honduras than me and my family have had. But I'd say they would probably agree with me in this statement that in our time in Honduras, we were constantly reminded of ourselves and by others. Listen, how they will view other Americans is how you act. If there are other mission groups to come into Honduras, if there are other, other people to come and move and be a part of this, how you respond and how you act now will either be good or bad for those who come. As Christians who are citizens of heaven, how we respond with our freedom, how we act with our freedom, how we live with the freedom that we have in Christ will either cast a positive or a negative light on God and the kingdom of God. So it's important. It's important that we understand what the Bible says of who we're supposed to be as free people. And then secondly, it's this way. All earthly man-made freedom is temporary. Every bit of it. I've read the end of the book. There is not but one kingdom that survives. There is no precept there is no king there is no queen there is no president there is no chancellor there is no emperor there is no economic uh, economic system socialism capitalism whatever ism in the end there's only one that survives and it is the kingdom of God and as such those of us who are free in Christ should be using our freedom towards that end Towards any other end is a waste of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Break free from sin as your master. Break free from the law of sin and death. Break free from religious slavery. Use your freedom in Christ to love and serve one another. That in doing so, we might silence foolish people. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pvcfrankfurt at gmail.com.